0: So this morning we are in our last week in our series, The Will of God. Uh, Next week we will start a series on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Uh, Someone asked me where we were going after that. Uh, We'll probably go into a minor prophet after that. Uh, Then we'll go back into the book of John again. Um, uh, So uh, that's where we're kind of going for this year if you'd like to know ahead. Um, Now the whole purpose of the will of God is for us to series is for us to learn how to discern the will of God because as a Christian uh, you are uh, always thinking about God's will or hopefully you're always thinking about God's will and and that's a good thing because Paul says in Ephesians don't be foolish understand what God's will is for your life so it's a good question to ask God what's your will what is your will. And so we've been exploring this over multiple weeks, taking our time with this and in the first week we talked about the decreative will of God Uh, and the decreative will of God basically says that there are some things that God has decreed and and no matter what, they are going to happen. We we, we use the illustration of a train. Whether it passes you by, whether you get ran over by it, or whether you jump on, the will of God is going to take place. Uh, And this is important for us to know because it brings peace in our lives. Peace that God has things under control. Peace that He knows what is going to take place. Peace that nothing has ever occurred to God. He's never shaken, He's never surprised, He's with us, and He is ahead of us in all situations. And it also reminds us that we're not designed to be in control. We're not made for that. That's not where we're going to find joy in our lives. Trying to reach for things that were not meant for us, that are not best for us. As I said, you know, this is where we, we hand back over the TV remote control of life, back to God. Or as the great theologian uh, Carrie Underwood once said, Jesus, you just take the wheel. Take it back. I don't want it. I don't know how to drive life. Right. Then the second week we looked at the moral will of God. And the moral will of God has to do with what God desires for humanity. And, And when it comes to the moral will of God, this is where our focus should be. As one writer said, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life is our preoccupation with the secret will of God at the expense of neglecting the revealed will of God. And God's moral will reveals to us His desire for how we are to live our lives. And that desire is not to know the future, but to walk in His ways in the present. It teaches us what His desire is for our goals and our attitude and our heart and our actions our desires, all of it. And when we focus on His ways and carrying out those ways, we find, we find ourselves, we will be in His will. We'll be in His will. And a peace that comes from knowing that we're doing in every situation to the best of our ability what God is calling us to do. And then a couple of weeks ago we talked about the permissive will of God. And this is what God permits in our lives. And one of the reasons talking about the will of God is so important is that we get very anxious when it comes to the future. We get filled with anxiety because we're afraid of making the wrong choice and stepping out of God's will like we're on some kind of tightrope. But what we did is we asked the question, is that really how it is? And we looked at some um, stories in the Bible where, where people just made decisions based on what they wanted, not some great light from heaven, not a text that they received from God. They were just doing what they thought was best. And the point we we got from this is like sometimes you can just make a decision. As St. Augustine said, love God and do what you please. Sometimes that God's will for you is just whatever you want inside his moral will, to be clear. Sometimes, like we remember we use the illustration of painting, sometimes you just need to pick a color and start painting. And even if it's not the right color, you're still moving forward because you just narrowed it down. You learned something new. That God is a loving Father and He's not waiting for us if our heart's in the right place. He's not waiting for us to just make a mistake and be like, ah, that He's going to guide us just like we guide our children, our grandchildren, our small children when they are young. So I hope through all of this we've been reminded like there are no shortcuts when it comes to the will of God. None of the things that we talked about in those first few weeks showed any shortcuts to figuring out God's will. Because we're in a day and age where we want everything fast and we want it now. But That's not where our focus needs to be. It needs to be on taking steps in our lives. We talked about the the quote R.C. Sproul from last week where he says that when it comes to the hidden will of God that God's will is simply put none of your business. It's your, not your business to know what is tomorrow. That's why Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the, this, there's the secret things of the God and they belong to him, but the things that he revealed, that's where our focus should be. And his concern is not getting us from point A to point B as fast as he can. His point is us becoming, like we saying, more like Christ. Us depending on him. Us growing in relationship with him and thus becoming more like him as we learn to trust him and follow his ways. So then we got to last week and we're like, well great, this is is all good but we still have these points in our lives where we need to make decisions. Decisions. And, And sometimes we have multiple decisions that at first glance they feel like they're all within His moral will. And we're like, okay, how do we move forward? And this is important because we make decisions all the time, right? Every day. Sometimes they're big decisions. Some of you I know, you've had huge decisions recently. Sometimes even just in small decisions, we have to figure out what to do. And sometimes we rush in decisions and so we wanted to stop and talk about this for a couple weeks. And I, and, I, and I talked about that uh, last week, sometimes our problem is when we come to a, a stop sign and we have a couple different ways to go, um, You know, if it isn't obvious, we start looking for signs, things to follow. And so we talked, and I wanted to talk about them because we'll depend on them because we go to them, but they're not as dependable as we think. So we talked about open and closed doors. That's how we discern God's will. Well, if it's an easy route, it must be God's will. If it's a hard route, it must not be His will. But we see through Scripture that's not the case. We don't know the difference between open and closed doors, we don't have that ability to discern open and closed doors. We talked about personal desires, like that if we want something, it must be good. Right? Because our heart's always in the right place. So we talked about how that's not always the case. That we need to check our hearts. We talked about inner peace. That if I have an inner peace, you ever had somebody say that to you, I have a peace about it and you're like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? But sometimes that inner peace is we're just justifying ourselves And, and, and we talked about how sometimes our inner peace just leads to everybody else having to pick up the pieces from our decision. And we talked about how all of these different signs we look at, they originate in our hearts. They they originate from our subjective view of things. And we talked about how Jeremiah the prophet said in 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above literally everything else. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? He didn't say like the heart is deceitful but the world is worse. He said no, the heart's deceitful above everything. He didn't say the heart is deceitful but Satan is way worse. He said no, the heart your heart, your sin condition. And so the point of this decision, it was, it was really like to get us to start fearing the things we shouldn't fear and to start fearing the one thing that we do not fear enough, and that is our own hearts, our own perspectives on things that are often, if we don't check them, based out of our own fear and our own hurt and our own mistakes and the own way that we see things. And so I'm open and I'm praying this last week, You've had that in your mind as thoughts and motives have come in that you've been checking yourself. And in this final week, I'm like, okay, we've we got to be careful when paying attention to our hearts. It doesn't mean our heart is always wrong, but we got to be careful. And how do we move forward in our decision making, in our conversations, in our day-to-day things, and even in our big stuff? How do we go about checking our hearts? And I believe that the answer to this is, is summed up in the word wisdom. Wisdom. Now what is wisdom? And My favorite and I think the simplest definition is it is the right use of knowledge. That's what wisdom is. You can have knowledge and not be wise. But when you apply it rightly, that is wisdom. Proverbs 4-7 says, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Paul in Colossians He tells us to walk in, anybody? Wisdom, to walk in wisdom. Scripture time and time and time again tells us to live a life that is rich in, anyone? Wisdom, there you go, wisdom. Sorry, it's early. So this morning, I want us to take some time to be reminded of how to make decisions in light of wisdom. Because this is how I believe we remain and walk in the will of God. So if you are someone who says, man, yes, I want to be the will of God, this is an important decision. Uh, a message for you. Now, I am maybe only one or two things I might say in here you may never heard before. Most of this, you will have heard this a thousand times. And so it's easy for us as Christians to go, yes, I've heard this, I've heard this, and just shut it off. The problem is, in our hearts, we don't stop to check and say, okay, I've heard this a billion times, but do I actually do it in my life? If you do it in your life, that's wisdom. If you don't do it in your life, you're being a fool according to Scripture. And I've been a fool many times. So my, and my point in saying that is I want you to say, God, whatever it is I need to learn from this message, what I need to be reminded of, what I need to actually apply, Lord, I pray you would make it so clear to me that my, my deaf ears and, and my blind eyes would see it and hear it. Amen, church? Amen. 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 So I think one of the basic things, I used, to, uh, I used to skip this step all the time in making wise decisions. Uh, and I probably still skip it way too often. I think one of the first things we have to do is committing our way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all, all of it, in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the things that I don't often ask myself, and I don't think people do generally until they get a little wiser, is in decision-making, do we ever ask ourselves the question, what do? do I really want? What am I really looking for? And here's what I mean. There are always something deeper that's just stri- driving the decisions that we make. Like when I, I do marriage counseling a lot, and I, and I enjoy it very much, and it's one thing that I've always noticed, and even in my, in, in my marriage, in the 20 years that Marie and I have been married, we've argued maybe once, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, um, there's always something deeper that's driving the hurt and the pain and the disagreements. There's always something deeper that we don't pay attention to. And it's the same in our decision-making. And we can often be so focused on the decision of what we want, we're ever thinking about the intent of our heart behind it. Uh, and it's even simple in like when someone, and I see, I go back to marriage counsel, I see this in marriages, one spouse will bring a problem to another spouse. And I'm sorry to stereotype, but it's usually the woman who brings something to the guy, and then the guy will just dismiss it, right? Because we have a tendency to be shallow in our emotions sometimes. And, 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 it's, and it's, oh, that's not a problem. Okay, now it's possible maybe it's not really a problem. But I find often is that other spouse, they're not stopping to think, go, wait a minute, why do I not think that's a problem? Why am I making the decision not to engage this topic? Maybe it's because I'm lazy and I'm apathetic, Or maybe it's because I'm uncomfortable sharing my feelings. Like there's something deeper driving the decision that we make. And this is in all the area of our lives. This goes back to the whole check your heart we talked about last week. Proverbs says that all a person's ways seem pure to them. But the motives are weighed by the Lord. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom his righteousness and everything else will be given to you as well. And he was talking about, remember, this worry, anxiety, anxiousness. Jesus said, man, place your focus on God, His priorities. He goes, I'll take care of the rest. And the best way to do this in all the decisions of our lives and all the areas is to commit our way to the Lord. To be able, And it's simple. This is simply how you do it. You go, God, I pray in this decision or that decision, I'm committing my way to you. I want my life to be about you. I want this decision about to be about you. I want this relationship, my job, my school day-to-day. I want this to be my class, my Algebra 2 class or whatever. you're. Ta- I want this to be about you. I want to I, I be about best for your kingdom. I'm committing my way to you. That's probably not a prayer we can ever pray too much. When's the last time you prayed that prayer? Lord, I commit this to you. This is yours. It belongs to you. I think even, even in simple things like I found a change in my life that when I, sometimes when I'm walking home, because I have like a 20-second commute, don't hate me for those of you who go to New York, and, and I walk across the parking lot, but because I have such a short commute, uh, sometimes I'm still in work mode when I get home, and so kids are getting leftover, Dad. I'm still thinking about church stuff. I'm not thinking about kids and Maria. And so I've learned to start praying like as I'm walking, Lord, this is your time. Uh, I want to be the father you want me to be. I commit this to you. Help me be in the right frame of mind as I go into this house. And I've noticed it changes me when I walk in. I'm, I'm, as I pray to him, I'm able to shut that off and say, hey kids, here's dad. Commit your way to the Lord. And this is especially important in times when we're filled with fear. Because fear is not focused on wisdom. Fear is focused on the hypothetical and all of these possibilities that may or may not happen. Now I don't mean that someone who's committed to God suddenly doesn't feel fear and they're like, I am brave. There is no fear. No, no, they they still admit the fear. They acknowledge the fear. But they look past it. Jesus gives us this example in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if you are willing, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I'm afraid. I don't want it. I don't want this. He goes, yet not my will but yours be done. He is committing his life, showing us a pattern of commitment to God. So one step in decision-making, big and small, And if you practice this enough, it will will happen naturally. Say, Lord, I commit this to you. Whatever this is, I'm committing this to you and your glory. Commit your way to the Lord. Now a second step that goes along with this in wise decision making is seeking the Lord. And this kind of goes along with committing your way to the Lord. In fact, it's like putting wheels to it, putting feet to it. Which means, like, I'm not just saying, God, I'm committing this to you for the sake of being religious and spiritual. And yet, yet. I'm actually going to look to you, God, for wisdom and direction and guidance. Because if you're not looking to God for guidance and wisdom and, like, direction, you're not committing your way to him. It's just words. And here's the beautiful thing about this. One of the verses that gives me hope beyond hope, you'll know this well if you've been in the church for a while, is James 1, 5, and 6. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, and here's the great part, without finding fault. So you can be a screw up, he's still going to give you wisdom. He goes, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And how this looks like is, you know, and, and, and I've had people get stuck up on the doubt, like, I don't know, I have doubt, I don't know what to do with this. I said, okay, okay, it Here's how I do it. I'll say, I'll go to God. I'll say, like when I sat down this morning, I'm editing my sermon. I said, Lord, I, I, I ask for your wisdom in preparing this sermon, that I may bring you glory, and I thank you for giving it to me. So I always give this time, thank you for giving it to me. It's like the statement of, I believe that God's going to answer this prayer. And I don't think that we realize the magnitude of this verse. The creator of the heaven and the earth, the Alpha and Omega, the, the great I am. Literally, God. He says, He promises through the writer James that He will give you wisdom if you ask for it. He'll give it to you free of charge. So, if anyone is deficient in wisdom, and we are all deficient in wisdom, by the way, God's going to give it to you. So, my question for you is how often do you stop and ask God for wisdom? How often do you say, God, I need your help? I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I feel like in our nature, especially if you're like a guy like me who likes to fix things, like um, it's in our nature, we just like turn to our own reasoning to fix things. That's where our nature goes. And nowadays, like if you're a computer guy like me, you love to turn to AI for things because AI is a tool, right? But James was like, man, you could turn to so much greater than artificial intelligence, than AI. He's like, anytime you want, you could turn to EI, eternal intelligence. I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> Sell t-shirts, right? You could turn to the greatest intelligence ever. And I wonder how our lives would change if we got into the rhythm of asking God for wisdom because there does not seem to be like any limit to how much we can ask you with me, church? I think that's a great prayer for you to pray. Lord, help me to start to remember. I pray that your Holy Spirit reminds me to ask you for wisdom. You can write yourself a note. You can send yourself a reminder once a day to pop up on your phone and say, have you asked God for wisdom today? Now, I think another benefit in this asking for wisdom, uh, what James doesn't mention right here, is is that, that asking God for wisdom, it's an act of humility, if you think about it. It's the act of saying, look, I don't understand everything probably. It causes us to ask very important questions. Like, do I have all the facts? Or what am I missing? It slows us down. It brings in a healthy level of doubt. Doubt can be healthy. Proverbs says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. I mean, how often in our impatience, we all got stories on this one, do we rush to quick and and, and snap decisions, right? And then after we make these snap decisions, we feel the consequences of them. Why? Because in those moments, we did not know what we did not know. I'm gonna get that phrase again because you're gonna hear it a lot. We did not know what we did not know. We didn't realize that we didn't have the full picture. and We've all made decisions where we thought we had all the facts, only later to find out something is missing. Proverbs says that desire without knowledge is not good. How much more, listen to this, will hasty feet miss the way? I love that, it's fun to say. Hasty feet miss the way. In fact, there was this MIT scientist, I don't remember his name. I don't even remember when he did this study. But he said on average people are inclined based on his study to believe false news, I don't just mean like news on TV, just in general, at least 20% of the time. So based on his study, 2 out of every 10 times you are most likely to believe something that's not true. And he said the reason for this that he found is because of staff judgments that we don't stop to think in our rush nature. That the real problem is that we're not stopping to examine this to question. We just hear something and we just keep on rolling. And my goodness, have I ever not seen this more in politics. The crazy things that people believe because they do not stop to say, wait a minute, is this true? We just rush past it. We don't pause. I mean, think of uh, Peter in, in the garden. Of, uh, yeah, it was in the garden or outside the garden. I think it was in the garden. Like, remember when Judas, the night he was betrayed, he came with the Roman guards, they came to get Jesus, and there's Peter like, oh, these guys are coming for my Savior. Oh, I have a sword. Let me defend him. Goes, slices the guy's ear off, right? How does Jesus respond? Peter, thank you, you saved me. No, he says this in John 18, 11. He goes, put your sword away. Should I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You see, Peter acted on what he didn't know. He thought he knew the right thing. He thought he had all the facts, but he was wrong. Psalm says that God leads the humble in what is right. And he teaches the humble his way. Do you know why he does this for the humble? Because the humble are actually looking. The humble are actually seeking God and saying, What Lord, I I don't know. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. And listen, and this is not so this morning we are in our last week in our series, The Will of God. Uh, next week we will start a series on spiritual warfare. And the armor of God. Uh, someone asked me where we were going after that, uh, and we'll probably go into a minor prophet after that. Uh, then we'll go back into the book of John again. Um, uh, so uh, that's where we're kind of going for this year. If you'd like to know ahead, um, now the whole purpose of the will of God is for us to series is for us to learn how to discern the will of God. Because as a Christian, uh, you are uh, always thinking about God's will. Or hopefully you're always thinking about God's will. And and that's a good thing because Paul says in Ephesians, don't be foolish. Understand what God's will is for your life. So it's a good question to ask. God, what's your will? What is your will? And so we've been exploring this over multiple weeks, taking our time with this and in the first week we talked about the decreative will of God. uh, And the decreative will of God basically says that there are some things that God has decreed and, and no matter what They are going to happen. We we, we use the illustration of a train. Whether it passes you by, whether you get ran over by it, or whether you jump on, the will of God is going to take place. And, And this is important for us to know because it brings peace in our lives. Peace that God has things under control. Peace that He knows what is going to take place. Peace that nothing has ever occurred to God. He's never shaken, he's never surprised, he's with us, and he is ahead of us in all situations. And it also reminds us that we're not designed to be in control. We're not made for that. That's not where we're going to find joy in our lives. Trying to Reach for things that were not meant for us, that are not best for us. As I said, you know, this is where we, we hand back over the TV remote control of life, back to God. Or as the uh, great theologian uh, Carrie Underwood once said, Jesus, you just take the wheel. Take it back. I don't want it. I don't know how to drive life. Right. Then the second week, we looked at the moral will of God. So this morning, we are in our last week in our series, The Will of God. Uh, next week we will start a series on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Uh, someone asked me where we were going after that, uh, and we'll probably go into a minor prophet after that. Uh, then we'll go back into the book of John again. Um, uh, so uh, that's where we're kind of going for this year. If you'd like to know ahead, um, now the whole purpose of the will of God is for us to series is for us to learn how to discern the will of God because as a Christian. Uh, you are uh, always thinking about God's will. Or hopefully you're always thinking about God's will. And, and that's a good thing because Paul says in Ephesians, don't be foolish. Understand what God's will is for your life. So it's a good question to ask. God, what's your will? What is your will? And so we've been exploring this over multiple weeks, taking our time with this. And in the first week we talked about the decreative will of God uh, and the decreed of will of God basically says that there are some things that God has decreed and, and no matter what, they are going to happen. You know, we, we, we use the illustration of a train. Whether it passes you by, whether you get ran over by it, or whether you jump on, the will of God is going to take place. Uh, and this is important for us to know because it brings peace in our lives. Peace that God has things under control. Peace that he knows what is going to take place. Peace that nothing has ever occurred to God. He's never shaken, he's never surprised, he's with us, and he is ahead of us in all situations. And it also reminds us that we're not designed to be in control. We're not made for that. That's not where we're going to find joy in our lives. Trying to reach for things that were not meant for us, that are not best for us. As I said, you this is where we we hand back over the TV remote control of life back to God. Or as the great theologian uh, Carrie Underwood once said, Jesus, you just take the wheel. Take it back. I don't want it. I don't know how to drive life. right. Then the second week we looked at the moral will of God. And the moral will of God has to do with what God desires for humanity. And and when it comes to the moral will of God, this is where our focus should be. As one writer said, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life is our preoccupation with the secret will of God at the expense of neglecting the revealed will of God. And God's moral will reveals to us His desire for how we are to live our lives. And that desire is not to know the future, but to walk in His ways in the present. It teaches us what His desire is for our goals, and our attitude, and our heart, and our actions, our desires, all of it. And when we focus on His ways and carrying out those ways... We find, we find ourselves, we will be in His will. We'll be in His will. And a peace that comes from knowing that we're doing in every situation to the best of our ability what God is calling us to do. And then a couple of weeks ago we talked about the mer- permissive will of God. And this is what God permits in our lives. And one of the reasons that talking about the will of God is so important is that we get very anxious when it comes to the future. We get filled with anxiety because we're afraid of making the wrong choice and stepping out of God's will like we're on some kind of tightrope. But what we did is we asked the question, is that really how it is? And we looked at some um, stories in the Bible where, where people just made decisions based on what they wanted, not some great light from heaven, not a text that they received from God. They were just doing what they thought was best. And the point we, we got from this is like, sometimes you can just make a decision. As St. Augustine said, love God and do what you please. Sometimes that God's will for you is just whatever you want inside his moral will, to be clear. Sometimes, like we remember, we used the illustration of painting. Sometimes you just need to pick a color and start painting. And even if it's not the right color, you're still moving forward because you just narrowed it down. You learned something new. That God is a loving father. And He's not waiting for us, if our heart's in the right place, He's not waiting for us to just make a mistake and be like, ah, that He's going to guide us just like we guide our children, our grandchildren, our small children when they are young. So I hope through all of this we've been reminded like there are no shortcuts when it comes to the will of God. None of the things that we talked about in those first few weeks showed any shortcuts to figuring out God's will. Because we're in a day and age where we want everything fast and we want it now. But that's not where our focus needs to be. It needs to be on taking steps in our lives. We talked about the, the quote R.C. Sproul from last week where he says that when it comes to the hidden will of God that God's will is simply put, none of your business. It's your, not your business to know what is tomorrow. That's why Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the, this, there's the secret things of the God and they belong to him but the things that he revealed, that's where our focus should be. And his concern is not getting us from point A to point B as fast as he can. His point is us becoming, like we say, more like Christ, us depending on him, us growing in relationship with him, and thus becoming more like him as we learn to trust him and follow his ways. So then we got to last week and we're like, well, great, this is this is all good, but we still have these points in our lives where we need to make decisions decisions. And and sometimes we have multiple decisions that at first glance they feel like they're all within His moral will. And we're like, okay how do we move forward? And this is important because we make decisions all the time, right? Every day. Sometimes they're big decisions some of you I know, you've had huge decisions recently. Sometimes even just in small decisions. We have to figure out what to do. And sometimes we rush in decisions, and so we wanted to stop and talk about this for a couple of weeks. And I, and, I, and I talked about that uh, last week. Sometimes our problem is when we come to a, a stop sign and we have a couple different ways to go, um, You know, if it isn't obvious, we start looking for signs, things to follow. And so we talked, and, and I wanted to talk about them because we'll depend on them because we go to them, but they're not as dependable as we think. So we talked about open and closed doors. That's how we discern God's will. Well, if it's an easy route, it must be God's will. If it's a hard route, it must not be His will. But we see through Scripture that's not the case. We don't know the difference between open and closed doors. We don't have that ability to discern open and closed doors. We talked about personal desires, like that if we want something, it must be good. Right? Because our heart's always in the right place. So we talked about how that's not always the case. That we need to check our heart. We talked about inner peace. That if I have an inner peace, you ever had somebody say that to you? I have a peace about it, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, what are you talking about?" But sometimes that inner peace is we're just justifying ourselves. And, and, and we talked about how sometimes our inner peace just leads to everybody else having to pick up the pieces from our decisions. And we talked about how all of these different signs we look at they originate in our hearts. They they originate from our subjective view of things. And we talked about how Jeremiah the prophet said in 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above literally everything else. And desperately sick. who can understand it? He didn't say like the heart is deceitful, but the world is worse. He said, no, the heart's deceitful above everything. He didn't say the heart is deceitful, but Satan is way worse. He said, no, the heart, your heart, your sin condition. And so the point of this decision, it was... It was really like to get us to start fearing the things we shouldn't fear and to start fearing the one thing that we do not fear enough, and that is our own hearts, our own perspectives on things that are often, if we don't check them, based out of our own fear and our own hurt and our own mistakes and the own way that we see things. And so I'm open, and I'm praying this last week, you've had that in your mind as thoughts and motives have come in that you've been checking yourself. And in this final week, I'm like, okay, we've we got to be careful when paying attention to our hearts. It doesn't mean our heart is always wrong, but we got to be careful. And how do we move forward in our decision making, in our conversations, in our day-to-day things, and even in our big stuff? How do we go about checking our hearts? And I believe that the answer to this is, is summed up in the word wisdom. Wisdom. Now what is wisdom? And My favorite and I think the simplest definition is it is the right use of knowledge. That's what wisdom is. You can have knowledge and not be wise. But when you apply it rightly, that is wisdom. Proverbs 4.7 says, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Paul in Colossians he tells us to walk in. Anybody? Wisdom to walk in wisdom. Scripture time and time and time again tells us to live a life that is rich in, anyone? Wisdom. There you go. Wisdom. Sorry, it's early. So this morning, I want us to take some time to be reminded of how to make decisions in light of wisdom. Because this is how I believe we remain and walk in the will of God. So if you are someone who says, man, yes, I want to be the will of God, this is an important decision. uh, A message for you. Now, I am maybe only one or two things I might say in here you may never heard before. Most of this, you will have heard this a thousand times. And so it's easy for us as Christians to go, yes, I've heard this, I've heard this, and just shut it off. The problem is, in our hearts, we don't stop to check and say, okay, I've heard this a billion times, but do I actually do it in my life? If you do it in your life, that's wisdom. If you don't do it in your life, you're being a fool according to Scripture. And I've been a fool many times. So my, and my point in saying that is I want you to say, God, whatever it is I need to learn from this message, what I need to be reminded of, what I need to actually apply, Lord, I pray you would make it so clear to me that my, my deaf ears and, and my blind eyes would see it and hear it. Amen, church? Amen. 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 So I think one of the basic things, I used, to, uh, I used to skip this step all the time in making wise decisions. Uh, and I probably still skip it way too often. I think one of the first things we have to do is committing our way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all, all of it, in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the things that I don't often ask myself, and I don't think people do generally until they get a little wiser, is in decision-making, do we ever ask ourselves the question, what do? do I really want? What am I really looking for? And here's what I mean. There are always something deeper that's just stri- driving the decisions that we make. Like when I, I do marriage counseling a lot, and I, and I enjoy it very much, and it's one thing that I've always noticed, and even in my, in, in my marriage, in the 20 years that Marie and I have been married, we've argued maybe once, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, um, there's always something deeper that's driving the hurt and the pain and the disagreements. There's always something deeper that we don't pay attention to. And it's the same in our decision-making. And we can often be so focused on the decision of what we want, we're ever thinking about the intent of our heart behind it. Uh, and it's even simple in like when someone, and I see, I go back to marriage counsel, I see this in marriages, one spouse will bring a problem to another spouse. And I'm sorry to stereotype, but it's usually the woman who brings something to the guy. And then the guy will just dismiss it, right? Because we have a tendency to be shallow in our emotions sometimes. And, 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 it's, and it's, oh, that's not a problem. Okay, and now it's possible maybe it's not really a problem. What I find often is that other spouse, they're not stopping to think, go, wait a minute, why do I not think that's a problem? Why am I making the decision not to engage this topic? Maybe it's because I'm lazy and I'm apathetic or maybe it's because I'm uncomfortable sharing my feelings. Like there's something deeper driving the decision that we make. And this is in all the area of our lives. This goes back to the whole check your heart we talked about last week. Proverbs says that all a person's ways seem pure to them, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. And he was talking about, remember, this.